or the book of John, chapter 2. I want to look at the last three verses of this chapter, beginning in chapter 2, verse 23, 24, and 25. It's a really interesting uh, little insertion that kind of fills out this narrative, and it's really kind of a bridge between the cleansing of the temple that we looked at last week and this conversation that we'll be looking at next week, probably for a few weeks, between Nicodemus and Jesus that we see in John chapter 3. It tells us in John chapter 2, beginning in verse 23, now Jesus is in Jerusalem at the time. It says, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And he had no need that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. And so, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning by your Holy Spirit. Lord, give us understanding of this passage. It's a difficult one. It's a hard one to read. It's a hard one to consider. And so, Lord, you pray that you'd fill us with your spirit, that you would instruct us, fill me with your spirit, that you might speak through me. And Lord, bring these words, bring these concepts, bring these truths alive in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Now when I read in verse 24 where it says that Jesus did not commit himself to them. These are people who believed on him. uh, Because he knew all men. And it says also in verse 25, he had no need that anyone should testify men because he knew what was in man. Well, of course he did because as God, he is the creator of men. He created us. He knows exactly what we are. He knows exactly what we're made of. He knows our frailties. He knows our inconsistencies. He knows the good things about us. Can I say bad? He knows the bad things about us. And yet the interesting thing about all of this is that, and we will see this in chapter 3, we probably won't even get close to it next week, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He knows everything about us and yet he loves us anyway. Which I find just, to me, it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling that that God would love us in the way that he does love us, completely, fully, totally. But here he's in the Passover. He's in Jerusalem. He's cleansing the temple earlier. And the commentary on the cleansing of the temple was in verse 22. We looked at it last week. Where it says, therefore, when when Jesus had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them. That is, speaking about his body that that would be the temple that would be torn down, but in three days he would raise it back up again. Or he would build it back up again. And his disciples remembered this after that Jesus had died and resurrected. 
And it says they believe the Scripture, and they also believe the Word, which Jesus said, which I find fascinating. They believe the Scripture, bless you. And they believe the Word, that Word is Logos. I thought it was the word rhema, which means spoken word. It, was the word. it is the word logos, which refers to the living word, refers to the written word, confer, refers to this complete uh, thought and intention behind the thoughts that God has for us. Now remember, John, I, had a, I actually had a conversation with a friend of mine earlier last week. He thinks John was written much earlier, but your mileage may vary. I'm going to stick around 90-something A.D. John writes this after the resurrection uh, uh, and the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the church has been in existence for, for about 60 years at this time. And he writes back referring to the disciples that after Jesus had died and resurrected that they remembered what he said about, about the temple being raised back up in three days, and it says they believed. Same word, verse 23. During the feast, many believed in his name. Same word, verse 24, translated in the New King James, he did not commit. That word commit is also the word believe. It's the same Greek word. Now, when I read this, this is troubling to me. Because as, as I think through this, I, 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 the question is, why did not Jesus believe in them? Why did not Jesus believe in their believing? And this troubles me. It should trouble me. I don't really have any good answers, so let's go ahead and close in prayer. That was just, no, I'm kidding. Okay, but, but let's try to work with this a little bit. Because what's interesting in the Gospel of John is that this Greek word, word, pastuo, is used 96 times in the Gospel of John. It's also used nine times in 1 John. And it refers to something that, uh, that you consider to be true. Therefore, it is something that is worthy of your trust. It is worthy of your acceptance. It is worthy of you saying, this is a part of my belief system. It's not something that you believe in passing. And Jesus was doing miracles. Now, that's the problem. The first miracle we read about when? Earlier in chapter 2, which was what? The changing of the water and the wine. If we look in chapter 4, I'll let, I'll let you find it. It tells us that Jesus performed his second miracle. But here you have written here that Jesus performed many, uh, he performed miracles, he performed signs. And so there's a discrepancy there. And it could be that this was, Again, the Gospel of John is not always in sequence. It's important to understand that because he's using the actual, truthful, yes, they really did happen, stories about Jesus to illustrate to us this incredible truth. 
John tells us this in the Gospel of John chapter 20, that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that you may have life in his name. That's the whole purpose of this Gospel. And he's doing signs. He's at the Passover, which is important to illustrate as well because Jesus was identified earlier in in the Gospel of John as what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I believe referring to him as that Passover lamb, the lamb that was sacrificed so that the firstborn might be spared in in the land of Egypt. That's what Passover is all about. And he's doing these signs, and the crowds acknowledge them. What's interesting, it doesn't tell us what he did. He doesn't tell us what he did. It's, it's, it's vague. There's a lot of details that are not included here. Now, I, I, I read more about signs even yesterday that I even want to bother to get into with you this morning. And the whole idea of signs and wonders and the whole debate about whether they are for today or not. And it's, it, it's, it's, it's very much a problem, if you will, in the church today because often it is with signs. There are two extremes. Some believe Every sign is of God. They're all of God, right? And some believe none of them are of God. Now, what I've found is often when we look at two extremes, that usually means that they're both, they both have problems. They're both really not correct. And Jesus will talk about this. We will get into this more as we get further into this gospel. That Jesus is doing signs to authenticate and to confirm who he is. None other than the Messiah. Things that were prophesied about him. Again, we will unpack that further later on. But things that were prophesied about him by the Old Testament prophets, and there were particular signs that the Jews had kind of formulated where they, they said that when the Messiah comes, he will do these signs. And so Jesus is doing these signs, and people are believing. They believe in his name. They believe in his nature. Sounds to me like they got saved. They believed when they saw the signs that he did. And there's a whole school of thought that says if you're just believing in Christ because of the signs, you're not really believing with saving faith. Then why would he do the signs? Is he bored? I think, I think it's important to realize that if this is something that Jesus was doing, that he's authenticating it. And I know that some of you are probably already squirming already because, oh my goodness, he's talking about signs and wonders.
But do you believe in the miraculous today? Now, I don't necessarily go pursuing it. But I have had some encounters with it. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is equally as able to perform anything he wants to do today as he did in the first century. And we have to be careful when we are standing in judgment. Particularly with churches that, quite frankly, yes, they have some things about them that are problematic. And that's, that's saying it nicely. But we better be careful when we say that they're from the pit. As I've heard one person say, it was a while ago. We better be careful of that. Because the Pharisees were the ones who were attributing the miracles of Jesus to that of the power of Satan. And Jesus warned them. He said, you're getting close. You're getting close to blaspheming the Holy Spirit of which there is no forgiveness. So we need to hold this with a sense of sobriety. I don't believe that it is... What's the word I want to use? I don't believe that it's really of value to go chasing after signs and wonders. Because there's all kinds of problems that can occur. And you get a mixture. I've been to some of these churches. You do. You get a mixture between what is authentic and what isn't. And, but God help us to discern these things. So don't, don't worry, we're not going to start trying to pursue this stuff, okay? However, what would you do if the Holy Spirit showed up in such a way that we could not explain this morning? And you knew it was the Holy Spirit. You know, because I've heard some of the testimonies of some pastors when, when, when God did some type of an outpouring, and the pastor just, he, he, he shares this later, essentially he's just sitting there going, oh no, not this. So you have to be, we, I believe we have to be open to that which the Spirit is doing. These people apparently were. See, this is where this gets, this, this passage is troubling. These people apparently were. But it says that Jesus, verse 24, did not believe in them. Or he did not commit himself to them. Because he knew men. A lot of explanations, or a lot of different people try to wrestle with what this is saying.
I may refer to a few of them just to kind of fill in, but I didn't really like any of them. I look at this, and to me, this is incredibly mysterious. Because what we also see here is Jesus, who is God, he is also operating. Now, he had how many spiritual gifts did Jesus have? You guys know? How many spiritual gifts did Jesus have? All of them. Okay? All in abundance. And what he is doing here is he is exercising what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, where it refers to a discerning of spirits. That's the actual scope of what this idea of this gift of discernment is. And I've met many people who tell me they have discernment, and the funny thing about it is that most of these folks who tell me they have discernment after I be or when I'm after around them for a while, I'm starting to question if that's really true or not. It's like humility, I think. You know, I, my, by the way, just to let you know, my book is coming out next month, Humility and How I Obtained It, right? If you think you're humble, you're probably not. You know, and, 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 and see, to me, that, that becomes the problem when I say, Lord, Lord, give me more humility. How in the world am I even going to know when I get there? I mean, really. But Jesus is exercising a discerning of spirits here. It is a spiritual gift that some people have. And it kind of informs them in some regards. Now, into what is going on uh, with a person. Now, we don't know each other's hearts. I've met people who think they know other people's hearts. But we, we really don't know each other's hearts. And I, I've even talked with people that they, they tell me, well, that person isn't a Christian. And, and my goodness, if we really believe what the Bible is saying for all it's worth, I, I sure hope they're wrong. But Jesus, full of grace and truth, first chapter, did not commit himself to them. Was there some type of a bandwagon type of movement going on here where, where Jesus is performing some kind of sign? It doesn't say what it was or what they were. It's plural. So he was probably I can imagine Jesus was doing all kinds of things during the Passover week. And Cyril of Alexandria, Augustine talked about these things and and, and, and they, they talk about this idea 
of when someone is first entering into the faith. It, they, they, they didn't refer to it, but it really kind of refers to this idea of what Paul told Timothy when he says to lay hands on no man suddenly. And, and when pe- particularly when people are first entering into the faith, they're, they're, a lot of times they're excited. Usually most young Christians, what are the first things they want to learn about? End times. Which to me is that's probably the last thing they need to know about. In their early, that's just my opinion. Your knowledge may vary, all right? But during the Jesus movement, incidentally, there's a film coming out about it. I don't even know if I want to bother to see it, but anyway. But during the Jesus movement, uh, I, I was in junior high and then high school, and, and, and I, I saw so many people get so excited about Jesus only to flame out six months later. And so the real question is, going back to the definition of this word, what is the sense of our commitment to Christ? It, 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 is it something that we consider to be true and therefore is worthy of all of our trust, worthy of all of our acceptance, worthy of, of, of incorporating all that we are and all that we, we know into our worldview? Because the idea of belief, I believe, has to go beyond, well, I prayed that prayer several years ago, and I asked Christ into my heart. And I've had several people tell me that, and, and, and you know, well, I remember one guy in particular, he was coming off of a three-day bender where he hadn't slept because he was so cranked out, and and and. and and telling me how his life was such a mess, but I'd prayed that prayer and it, it didn't seem to work. How are we saved? Book of Ephesians tells us we're saved by what? Grace. Through faith. It is a gift of God. I believe it's talking about the salvation, but I won't get into that this morning. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Second chapter of the book of Ephesians. I think it's around verse 8. How many places in the scripture that we read that salvation is of the Lord? What can we do to add to our status as Christians? Absolutely nothing. Other than Ooh. Other than believing. But Jesus didn't believe their belief. See see the see the problem here as I'm reading this through last week? I believe and then I receive. But my reception of the things of God, my reception of the salvation of God, my reception of giving my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, making him Lord and Savior of my life, has to go beyond a one-time 
commitment. Of which you and I probably fail probably each and every day. But if he is faithful, but if we confess our sins, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, what type of a relationship do you have with Christ. Now, this is one of those kind of passages that is very easy for you, for me, for us to say, well, I'm saved. And I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. Right? Because they need to hear this. In fact, I'll think I'll just go take it and show it to him later on. And if that's where our head has been, and I don't know if it is or not, you're missing the point. I'm not looking to try to get any of you to doubt your salvation. I know based on what the Bible says about you and what the Bible says about me is that we're a bunch of very imperfect people. Every single day. Some of you are smiling and I can almost read your minds right now. We're very imperfect. But what I see in this particular passage is this idea, first of all, that we're not to leave our faith to chance. We're not to leave our faith to chance. Because the word faith is this idea, of, is this is a saving acceptance of Christ's work as proclaimed in the gospel. A saving acceptance of Christ's work as proclaimed in the gospel. And you know, to be honest with you, I don't really like everything that's in the gospel. I bet you didn't expect to hear that out of me this morning. Because it requires something of me. And it challenges me. And it unsettles me. And, 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 boy, I've been, I've been wanting to say this and say this, and it keeps coming in and out of my forefront of my thinking. But I even believe that that unsettling is God's invitation, God's calling, God's beckoning. God's way of, of getting our attention so that we can, we can say Psalm 139, yet again, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my ways and see if there be any wicked ways in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Because I think at times we forget that we are really a work in progress. 
all of us are really a work in progress. Which means that from time to time, or maybe more often than not, you are probably going to be disappointed in your own progress in your walk with God. What's interesting, too, it tells us that Jesus knew what was in man. It's Passover. Every Jewish male was required to be there. It doesn't mean every one of them was, but again, as I mentioned last week, there could have been as many as, 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 as even three million extra people packed in this little city. Jerusalem was not a big city back then. It could have been that some of those who, I'm speculating, all right? I'm speculating, all right, warning. It could have been that some of those who believed on him in this first Passover were the ones who were crying out for Barabbas and saying crucify him on that last Passover. How many people do you know that just, that, that, they, they, they struggle with their sense of commitment toward anything? It's no different then than it is today or vice versa. And, and, and so Jesus, Jesus doesn't believe in them because he knows what is in them. And that really ought to, again, that should really grab our attention. Because believing in Jesus... is believing in his words. It is believing that he is both the messenger and the message. Now, the messenger today comes by, by way of whom? The Holy Spirit. Three in one, okay? The, the, the Trinity, the Godhead. The messenger and the message are the same because the message is that we have been called into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The message is not that we are good boys and girls and, and, and we, we, we do everything that, that the Bible says and we, we adhere to what the Bible says. The message is primarily a calling into the relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, later on in the Gospel of, God, Gospel of John, Jesus will say to us, if you love me, you will do what? Keep my commandments. But the message is, from the messenger, it is about relationship with him. It is a calling to be in communion, communion to him. Believing in Jesus, coming to him, receiving him, loving him. You're not worthy, I'm not worthy, nobody is worthy. But our salvation is not predicated on what we do. Our salvation is given to us as a free gift based on what Jesus has done. Aren't you glad? I mean, really, aren't you glad? My goodness, that, that takes a lot of pressure off of us. 
Because let's face it, we're all a bunch of sinners, all of us, even the best of us. And I don't know if any of the best of us are here or not. I don't know. That's why I'm looking at the ceiling, you know? But you don't leave your faith to chance. Because the idea of faith is not only believing, but it's obeying, which we will fail at. It is trusting, which we will fail at. It is hoping, of which sometimes we will lose hope. And it is being faithful, which we will also fail at. Boy, did did God not get the short end of the deal on this? Amos certainly did. But you see, that is the incredible nature of grace that by its very nature is very one-sided. He's very loving. He's very kind. He's very forgiving. He's very giving to us. And sometimes we just struggle to even set aside some time of the day just to be with him. Believing is primarily faith in Jesus Christ. And this idea of discernment, I'm just going to touch on this briefly. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 tells us, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So while I really believe that our ability to discern whether someone is a Christian or not is above our pay grade, I'll go back to what my old Southern Baptist pastor said years ago, we can't be fruit inspectors. And, and we do have to have some sense of discernment. But recognize, even though discernment, discernment is interesting because sometimes it just feels like, it just feels like your common sense. Now, for those of you who don't have any, I, I, no, I'm kidding, uh, I was going to say, I'm sorry, but it just, it feels like our common sense. But if, in fact, as James says, if James says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, there is no variance nor shadow of turning, and that's true, that which you believe might just be your common sense actually might be a gift of discernment from the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit works in very natural ways. Excuse me. The Holy Spirit works supernaturally in very natural ways. Now, I'm tempted to demonstrate, but I won't because I will never hear the end of it from some of you. But when I believe I'm getting a sense of discernment from the Holy Spirit, I don't have some weird sensation come upon me. But all of a sudden I start... Well, never mind. Anyway, the Holy Spirit, I believe, works supernaturally, very naturally. 
So the question is, this is what I'll leave you with. I almost like leaving you with questions and not answering them. Let, let you and the Holy Spirit work it out. What are we going to do with Jesus? Now think about what I'm asking. Because some of you got that look. Because you're like, what do you mean? Explain that. No, what are you going to do with Jesus? What is it that shapes our belief in Jesus? And how do we live that belief out? One more passage. Philippians chapter 2. If you want to turn real fast, I have it in front of me. But Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Paul is writing here and he says, Therefore, my beloved. Notice he says, As you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Let's unpack that just a little bit. I've referred to this verse a lot, haven't I? I rarely unpack it, though. First, he says, as you have always obeyed. So he's focusing on their obedience of the gospel. He's focusing on their obedience and living a life that's pleasing to God. And of course, he says, not in my presence only. We can translate that. You know, because it's usually pretty easy to be a good Christian on Sunday morning if you're here, right? Does that make sense? What about on Tuesday afternoon when your Monday was horrible? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'll just look at the ceiling. Tuesday afternoon, and you feel horrible. I'll put it a different way. You feel like the theological place of eternal punishment. And you're struggling, and you're angry, and nothing has gone right. See, that's what Paul is really getting at here when he says, you have always obeyed, not as as in my presence only, but much more in my absence. What kind of a Christian are you in the dark? Who are you when it's just you and God all by yourself? Now, I think... Each and every one of us. Now, hopefully I'm going to close this thought out for you, okay? But I think, I'll have to remember. I think each and every one of us could improve in that area. What are we like when it's just you and Jesus? I think that's an interesting question. But let me go through the passage a little bit more, and then I'm going to go back to that question. He says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Didn't I just say that we are saved by grace through faith? Oh, why are we working out our own salvation? 
Does that make any sense? Is it contradictory? It's from the Bible, so it better not be, right? I'm almost sensing the tension start to rise in this room, which is good. I think I, because I, I think these are important questions for us to ask about our faith. When I work out my own salvation, yes, I am saved by grace through faith, but if I want Christ to believe in my believing, I, I really believe there's something we are called to do. We're not adding to our salvation. We are not participating in our salvation. We are not sealing the deal. It is all that Jesus has done for us. But if I truly believe, there are going to be things that are going to mark my life. Now, I haven't been a Christian for very long. I've got to do the math. It's only been 56 years. Yeah, 56. I was, okay, I'm not that old. Okay. I've gone through seasons where I felt like I've been very tight with the Lord. I've gone through seasons where I felt like God was a million miles away. But, I, but I'm here at the end of my life. Oh, that doesn't sound good, does it? I'm here in my 60s. That doesn't sound good either. Anyway, but here I am after being one who's walked with Christ for for over 50 years, and and I am becoming even much more aware of, of not that I have to do anything to gain God's favor, but that I want to press into who he is. Because remember, it's the message is about the messenger, And to press into a deeper relationship with him. And, 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 and at times I'm thinking, for goodness sake, I've, I've lived my whole life this way. And, and, and I would think that I wouldn't have some of the certain struggles that I have in my life today. Not that me having a spiritual life guarantees my salvation. But I think the desire to walk with Christ is a demonstration that way back a long time ago, for probably everybody in this room, way back a long time ago, you prayed and you received Christ, you believed in Christ, and he committed himself to your belief. It's the ongoing evidence. I see the evidence, as we sang earlier, all over my life. And to, to be in that place, again, the Pentecostals love this saying, and I love the saying too, actually, is to be under the spout where the glory comes out. Or to be in a place where we position ourselves in such a way that we can hear the Spirit of God speak into our hearts. Which you will not do perfectly. And neither do I. But I'm still working it out. And some days, I'll be honest with you guys, it feels like a struggle. You ever not want to open your Bible? Now, if you're going to tell me, no, I always want to, I'm going to think you're weird, all right? I'm sorry. But there are just times it's like, oh, I just don't, I don't, want, to, I don't, I don't want to deal with this right now. 
And what I've found that those are the times that I really need to press in and, and open myself up to what the Spirit has said to me. I'm working out my own salvation in fear and trembling. Because if it's not for the finished work of Christ, I'm in a lot of trouble. And guess what? So are each and every one of you. And, and, and I don't want to take my salvation, what's the word I want to use? I don't want to take it too lightly. Because of the incredible price that was paid for your salvation and for my salvation on Calvary. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And so, this working out your salvation, I'm going to cycle it back to what I told you. I almost forgot about it. That takes you back to the Tuesday afternoon scenario. Where it's much more in my absence. When you're not surrounded by the church. And that's where the work really begins. Does that make sense? And, you know, I'll tell you what this, and I hope this encourages you. The, the fact that you might feel guilty about some of this is an indication that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Because while we are not perfect, I hope we are availing ourselves to the Holy 